Welcome to the Staffing RecOps podcast, where we interview leaders from high-volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations, strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, Dan Compass from Piper Companies, an elite human capital solutions firm specialising in information technology, life sciences and clinical solutions and cyber security, headquartered out of Virginia in the USA. Dan, thanks for joining us. James, it's great to be here. Dan spent two and a half years working as a technical recruiter prior to joining Piper Companies in the December of 2017. Dan has worked in a variety of roles at Piper Companies and since Feb 22 is Director of Delivery Operations. Dan, Piper Companies is a staffing firm but it's not a high volume blue collar, rather high volume white collar. So what does that look like when it comes to systems and processes in relation to onboarding, retention and reskilling. Are you are you placing the same contractors time and again across your client base and how do you manage those engagements from an operational perspective? Great question, James. Yeah, I mean our, our key focus is in the areas that you mentioned, right? So information technology, life sciences, clinical solutions and cybersecurity. So for us, we're really looking for the highest level caliber of individual across all of those verticals. So for us, our level of engagement with our clients and our candidates is really paramount to our success as an organization. So for us, we're really focused on the quality of our relationships, which starts with our clients. It's really diving into the needs of an organization, understanding how we can actually be a great partner to them versus just finding a candidate to fill a seat. And that means that we have to be an extension of that organization. We have to understand their culture. We have to understand what projects are coming up. And then we have to understand if it's within sort of our swim lanes so that we can actually effectively service them. So for us, it's really driven from the relationships. Albeit my role is in particular for all things delivery. So for us, that's the recruiting engine at Piper Companies. And you know, my role is specific to our Philadelphia location. We do have brick and mortar locations throughout the United States and Philadelphia, two in Virginia, one that focuses on commercial, one that focuses on the government sector. We have two in North Carolina and Charlotte and Raleigh, and then we have one in the Baltimore area as well. So my purview is really all things that relate to recruiting. And so I'm focused really on, you know, maintaining the same level of quality relationships with the candidates. So what that means is really we're, we're taking significant time on the front end to understand what the needs of our clients are so that we can match the right person to it. We're not the type of organization and it is not part of our philosophy to really spend the time, you know, throwing numbers in hopes that things stick. It's really about making sure that if we understand the true needs of our clients, we can find them the right person in a lot shorter time frame and with fewer people. So for us, it's really about the level of engagement that we have with the candidates. That being said, we have to spend significant time in understanding our clients as well as our candidates. So for me, you know, I am encouraging everyone here in you know the delivery engine that is Philly and then you know my purview into the rest of the company as well, that we need to be spending that much time with our candidates because they are high level, because we want to retain them, we want to redeploy them should their assignment end, they are going to do that if they trust us, if they believe that we have their best interest in mind, if we really take the time to know them. 
it's not a five minute conversation, it's typically a 30 minute conversation. And we really wanna make sure that we're lining up their needs with the needs of our client. Because you know, if we're driving at success, really it's successful when people are happy internally and externally, and that's really important for our candidate population. And so we want them to return to us so that we can, again, put them somewhere else and that they stay you know, engaged with Piper versus going to another firm. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other factors that play into our ability to do that, not just conversations, you know, whether it's benefits, whether it's uh, reimbursement for education, whether it's just the level of transparency and communication that we try to maintain. So there's a lot of factors that go into, you know, just the basics of how do we find high quality talent? How do we engage them in a way that makes them want to talk to us? And then how do they stay with us? So there's there's quite a few aspects that, you know, to me and to our team here are really imperative to us being a, you know, as you called it, a, a more of a, a white collar firm. And for us, it's really about white glove service across the board. So I'm, I'm an ex-IT contract recruitment consultant a long, long time ago, 16, 17 years ago. And it was typically a three, six or 12 month engagement. And in the UK, it's, it's all daily rates. So in terms of time paying bill, that's really simple. I know in the US, it, even with the white color, it's, it's typically more hourly. Um, but what's, what's a typical engagement with the people that, that you place? Is it a, a three, six, 12 month contract? And then how do you measure those and make sure that you're, you're redeploying your people and not losing them to other staffing firms? Great question. So it varies depending on the sector more than anything, James. You know, for us, our average duration is around the nine month mark. But we will see, in particular, in called the clinical and life sciences arena, engagements that are of a shorter duration. Our you know our clients are looking to convert people to full time employees fairly quickly, or it may be just a temporary assignment. Whereas in some of the more niche life sciences roles, as well as in particular our IT vertical, we're seeing much more longer term engagements, you know, the six plus months. Now, I think there's a balance between the, you know, the human element of recruiting and then the technological element of recruiting. So I think that's where my passion lies is that as we continue to automate and innovate in many ways, in particular in the arena that we're in, my fear is that in some of those automations, we lose the most important component of what we do, which is the people, which is really the human component of what we're doing here. I don't believe any algorithm or any platform is going to figure out the best ways of understanding what James Lawton really desires and what's really going to make him happy. Um, I can place, you know, via technology, a resume with a particular skill set, via keywords and booleans and all sorts of stuff. But for, for us, it's really about that, that level of engagement with the person. So in the implementation of various systems in our organization, you know, we leverage those systems to essentially remind us in the day in, day out to touch base with our current consultant population. So. My belief is that we should be talking with individuals at the end of day one, at the end of week one. If they're local, bringing them out to lunch, breaking bread with them, catching up with them at least monthly and having a similar touch point from a client perspective so that we can know how are they doing? Are there any particular concerns or issues that we can help mitigate? We really wanna be an extension of our clients and we really wanna be an advocate for our candidates. So that human element is really driven by the friendly reminders, if you will, of our technological platforms. Um, so we try to leverage those because 
we all know human beings are not perfect and we forget about people and some people feel like they need fewer touches and others more so. But if we have that reminder, obviously it helps us to remember our people and make sure that we're engaging with them. I, I wanna make sure that from an organizational standpoint, we are post COVID in the world that was all remote, getting out with people again. I think many of us almost forgot what that was like, forgot the joys of it. And it's really important, I think, in our business to not forget that the in-person meetings are really key. And that's with our candidate population. And that's with our, obviously, our client population as well. So when we're talking about engagements, regardless of the length, our level of um, communication should be pretty significant with the folks that we have because we want to redeploy them. We want them to not forget about us. And to your point earlier, James, like we don't want them to go to another firm, albeit we can't save everybody, if you will. So we also want to make sure that we're putting them in the best next possible situation. And if we have a chance to redeploy them, we certainly will. But we always want to do what's in the best interest of our candidates. And if they end up going somewhere else and it makes sense for them and their life, that is completely fine, too. So I, I would say it's a combination of the the technological underpinnings and platforms that give us the reminders and then really our systematic approach to making sure that our people don't forget about us and we don't forget about them. And that's really the basic, you know, shaking hands, breaking bread, taking people out, making sure that, you know, when they're, you know, their kids having something or when they got a birthday. I mean, those things, they, to me, that they, they're so important in an age of technology. So what does that look like in terms of systems, business processes, implementing that automation? What what has Piper companies done in order to find that balance? And, and what did that look like? Has, has that been a very gradual change over the last how many years? Or have there been specific projects where you've been implementing whatever technologies in order to resolve whatever challenges you previously had? Good question, James. So I've been here now for a little over five years and I've seen us just in our particular location here in Philadelphia grow by 17x. And so we've, you know, eclipsed the $100 million mark, you know, we did 140 million last year. So we're talking, you know, significant growth year over year. And with that, we're sort of, like many companies, building it as we go. And in part, what once worked, which was more of the, I have a list of candidates on an Excel sheet, I do my Friday time where I'm going to call the five here and next week it's these five and make sure that obviously I'm going out with them, that we've now grown and scaled to a degree that that is not possible. And I think that's where the intersection of technology comes in. So leveraging things like automated email reminders, automated text messages, both to candidate as well as to recruiter, where we've got, you know, a synchronization of ATS and various sort of, you know, bolt-ons, if you will that allow us to ping a candidate, but also the recruiter gets a notification so that we're not forgetting about that person and just saying, hey, the technology will do my job for me. So it's certainly been a work in progress and we've evaluated and will continue to evaluate various tools in the marketplace to make sure that we are really figuring out the best way to engage with the candidate population without diluting the quality of the relationships. Because sometimes there's a there's a disconnect where we automate so far that everything seems like it's a robot or a chat bot. And I feel like that loses really what we're trying to do here, which is if we say we're a, you know, a niche human capital solutions, well then we're not a human capital solutions, right? Like we're just a niche recruiting firm, but like the human part is really important. So 
Um, we're always working on a delicate balance between that, but we've really started to, I would say in the past 12 months, start to leverage and really start to build out what you would call almost a, you know, a candidate life cycle, a journey. Like at what point do they need to hear from us at the beginning? At what point towards the tail end of when we know their assignment may be ending, do they need to start to get reminders from us and reach out so that we can start to engage them on potentially a new you know, opportunity? So I wouldn't say that right now there's a perfect science for us. I would say that it's certainly a work in progress, but as we've, as we've, as we've grown significantly, it's become imperative that we redeploy people. Um, and you know, we've also implemented programs that help with, I know you and I had mentioned previously before this call, like reskilling, you know, how are we taking, like we're very passionate about um, folks coming out of the armed forces. And so, you know, we've started to define and, and build a program that's specific to helping people transition from, you know, the, the world of all things, you know, um, government and army and Navy and so on and so forth into civilian life, which is not always an easy transition. And that's something that we're very passionate about. So I think that there's there's different angles that you can take to make sure that internally you're doing that for your folks. And then, you know, externally with our candidate population, we're also, you know, making sure that we, we have some level of, um, you know, some systematic approach, if you will, to, to making sure that those folks are very close to our radar throughout the entirety of their you know time with us. So from an operational perspective internally, evaluating those, you, you talked about the candidate life cycle, you talked about evaluating the processes and, and improving them over time, just now mentioning the, the veterans and how, how you deal with them, how you, how you work with them, how that's potentially different. Have you got very like a very defined project with a, a defined project team where you mentioned your regional, presumably you're working with head office and, and people from other regions what does that look like how, do, how does that work in terms of of re-evaluating these processes more from the the veteran perspective james or, or like in, in well, general? just in terms of like an internal project how, how does that work is it, is it just more if if somebody's got an idea they share it with the others and you think okay let's look at that or is it a, a very defined project we meet every monday and and this is what we're looking to achieve here's the agenda and here's here's what we want to fix over the next 12 months or whatever it may be yeah so we as a leadership team have an incredible group of individuals all with different backgrounds different levels of tenure different levels of time here at piper companies and so that group in particular typically drives a lot of the what if we did this and is there a gap here? Granted in our day jobs, we, myself included, may not be the best person to project manage said solution or said automation or the, you know, the veterans program that we've uh, stood up. So what we've done is we have a training and enablement group and what that group is responsible for is exactly that, is really taking these ideas and saying, can we do something with that internally? And for us, we've got a lot of ideas, as most people do and most growing companies do. And, you know, we, we try them on a little bit. And so we'll get a small committee together and we'll bring in the parties that be and sort of do a, a small sample size and say, hey, did that work? Right. Whether it's a new technology platform, whether it's a simple idea and we start to just do a mock up. So typically we'll have like a project captain and then it'll be spearheaded really by the training and enablement group. Now, if it gets legs underneath it, and we really feel like there's a gap that it's servicing and there's some ROI. That's something that we then allow them to, to take hold of and really create the something out of nothing, if you will. So from that have been born things like 
you know, the veterans program that we've stood up and we have a program manager that handles all of that. And all of our market leaders are, you know, skilled in understanding what that means. And, you know, each, I should say, most of the markets have an individual that's come through that program. So it's very organic in the sense that myself or any of my colleagues here could bring something to the table. And we're typically going to try it on for, for us. I, well, I'll speak for myself. I am not the smartest person in the room. So thankfully I'm surrounded by really smart people and I get to rely and leverage their ideas as much as my own. And so we want to make sure that we don't let any idea slip by. And so thankfully, whether it's, someone who's in production every day, right? One of our recruiters or salespeople or someone that's in, you know, a role like mine, everyone sort of has a, a very equal ability to bring an idea to the table and then to create a mini project team and to, to see if it really has some teeth to it and then really turn it into something. So I, I guess it's both, right? Organic um, from its growth, but really strategic in its implementation, if you will, because there is a team that we have that, that's dedicated to doing that very thing. So it sounds like the organization has quite an innovative culture. You've been with the business a few years. Do you know, has that always been the way? Is that, is that quite a new thing? It's always been there, James. You know, from the beginning, I tell everyone this that, you know, I interview is, you know, what brought me here was the people. I know that's sort of a, a cheesy statement, but ultimately it really is. And it was it was because there was this blend of passion around winning and doing it in a way that was humble, which meant just like I said, I, I don't believe I'm unique in my I'm not the smartest person in the room. I believe that if you polled any of our leaders, they'd probably say something very similar. And so to me, what that meant was innovation had to be part of the core of what we did otherwise it wouldn't work if there was just the smartest person in the room and that person was making all the choices i don't think i'm pretty actually i'm confident we wouldn't be where we are today so for me i think it was that you know what the people here possessed a large part of that being the innovation the collaboration to say that's a great idea i didn't think about it that way let's try it and I could probably list off 20 ideas that we tried that maybe didn't work, others that we're trying now that if we talk two months from now, maybe we're not doing. And while we're trying not to create a flavor of the month and do all these like new implementations, you also have to try them on for size and, and you don't know always which ones are gonna stick and which ones aren't. So I think that's helped me feel excited every day. There's never a boring day here. I would hope my, you know, my colleagues and all those that have been here for as long as I have would feel the same. It's always changing and we're always looking at ways to improve. And again, it's not, if I said it was solely reliant on our training and enablement team, like there's, there's obviously going to be gaps in that. They're just people and they have to be, you know, relying upon us and us upon them. So I think overall it's a foundational principle in what we're doing here. And I, I really don't think we'd be where we're at today if it was not for that. I would imagine a business of your size is quite engaged in metrics, in reporting, in analysis. Is there anything that you're seeing at the moment that is is driving what you're reviewing? Give me a little bit more meat to that, James. I, I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah. So, in, in terms of c coming back to the whole retention and, and reskilling, and, and thinking about the people that you place. Are there? Are you, are you seeing a change in those engagements, either as a result of the the technology, the result of the the way that you're engaging them 
on, on a personal level do you do you measure the re the retention rate and do you see what the difference is between the old way of working and following these new systems and processes that you've implemented is that can you already see the impact that it's having on redeployment and keeping the same people working with pipe companies through their career understood now yes i would say that we're still too early on to quantify it and say hey james we've seen a 10%, 20% redeployment rate once we implemented said technologies or what have you. But in the very basic beginning stages of this to go from you know the retention rate that it was to the retention rate that it is, absolutely. We have definitely seen an improvement in that. And I think it's, in, you know, for a company of our size, like we, we don't want to stop at where we're at. We want to continue to grow. And we've done so very organically um, and very steadily over the past, you know, at least call it seven, eight years. But for us to continue to scale, you know, just like when you're doing the very bare bones recruiting process, it is so much easier if you are going out and talking to candidates that you have once engaged with. Similar to sales, if you have a warm lead with versus the reinventing the wheel every time. Okay, here's a new opportunity. I have to go out and begin sourcing from scratch. It's the same thing with our candidate population. I mean, we're doing ourselves a disservice and them a disservice if we're really not trying to, you know, again, find that intersection of technology and humanness where we wanna make sure that we keep our people because that's, that's our business. They are our business. And if we can't redeploy them or at least give it our best shot, like we're making the job a lot harder than it needs to be. So I would be excited and curious to see if you and I again had a conversation 12 months from now, 18 months from now, like what those numbers might look like, because I guarantee that they will increase. Um, again, I'll go back to, I guess, my soapbox of the, the technological age is I still feel like there is no substitute for a handshake, grabbing a meal with somebody. And so if we are doing that, uh, again, whether numbers matter or not, as much as we are focused on that, I can 100% guarantee you that our retention rate will increase. Because in the in the COVID era, that was not possible. It was phone calls, it was emails and text messages, and there's a benefit to that. But um, I, I just don't think that the quality exists in the same way. So now that we're sort of out of that era, I'm excited because I think we can sort of get back to what we used to do, which is seeing people. And that's the fun part about what we do, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. And and when it comes to the, the, the systems and the automation piece, um, of course, the reason everyone's wanting to do it is to be more efficient and, and get rid of the mundane admin clerical work. Have you got any measurements on that at this stage or is it again too early in, in terms what I mean by that in terms of how long a, a recruiter or a business development person or or anybody else within the business how much time they're saving from implementation of, of new systems that's an excellent question James and I think something that we're tackling as we speak actually because one thing that we've noticed is in scaling is that some of your top performers begin to spend a lot of their time in those types of duties, right? Checking in with current consultants, chasing managers down for time card approvals, or you know, trying to figure out why this person didn't show up last week, all that stuff. So a couple years back, um, we created a, a portion of our organization that was dedicated to really, you know, 
call client services, right? Bridging that gap between some of the more administrative tasks of what we do on a daily basis and then, you know, what we could otherwise be doing. Because for us, there was a there was many years where we played too many roles just because we were a small company, you know, we were figuring it out. Um, but a lot of those administrative components were really becoming time bandits for what our job was, which was to put people to work and to keep them happy. So um, I would love for us to continue to develop that here because I think it's so important that we, in the day in, day out minutia of producing, of developing client relationships, of putting people to work, um, that we don't get lost in the, the admin stuff and that we also don't forget about all the other important components that is our job, which is, you know, yes, chasing time cards. Yes, figuring out what happened, why this person didn't show up last week. Um, so I would love to, to get to a point where we are able to really have an extension of the recruiting engine or the sales engine that plays that role for us and that involves us in the process, right? Where it's almost like a, you know, like think of like a delivery of a solution. And at a certain point, you have sort of the customer success person, right? You have the, how's everything going? What's broken? What can we fix for you? As much as I want that to be each of us as, you know, producers, I also think that there's a benefit in having your point person be somebody else in addition, right? So that you really feel like it's an organizational um effort to keep you employed and happy and, and checked in on um, versus just Dan Compass and did he call me this week? So we started that a few years ago. I would say it's certainly not where we will see it in a few years from now. And I think from a technology standpoint, in terms of what I've seen in a very small period, I would definitely say that it's helped some of the administrative tasks be lessened for our producers so that they can do their day jobs a little bit more effectively. So I wish there was a more concrete answer. It's a little bit gray since we're sort of still in, in quite that process. Um, but I'm excited for obviously what it'll look like in, in the next few years here because I think we've realized in particular with the world of COVID, post-COVID, the, you know, the labor market, how important some of these components are and how they can be very easily missed. You, you talked earlier about growth, a growing organization, pipe companies growing, and you're very regional. In, in terms of the business as a whole, um, or, or your region as well, what, what kind of numbers are we talking, talking in terms of turnover, in terms of the, the perm versus the, the contract staffing side of the business? So... For us, we try to focus heavily on our consulting business. You know, that for us is, I would say, about 70% of what we do. The other 30% would be your traditional full-time placements. And this is really across all verticals. Each vertical has a little bit of a different split. Um, and then from, you know, a retention or, or redeployment rate, Again, it, it really depends a little bit more on each of the verticals than, than anything. You know, I think because we, we've seen a little bit, I would say, better of a job in, in, you know, maybe the federal sector versus the commercial. And then, you know, within the life sciences, maybe a little bit better than IT. Um, so you're probably looking at like, a, you know, a, a pretty significant retention rate. I mean, 
I would love to, to quote you on a number. I don't know that I would be 100% accurate in saying that, and um, I don't want the powers that be here to, to be upset with my number. So I will say do, it is do, very high. Do, do you know roughly what kind of number contractors you've got out at any given time? Rough numbers. In, in terms of overall numbers? Yeah. I, I certainly do, James. Uh, hold on one second. I've got plenty of data for you, so let me pull it up and I'll give you an idea. So you're probably talking, oh boy, let's see. So, you know, in Philadelphia, you're looking at roughly 140. So you're talking about probably give or take 700 consultants, you know, in, yeah. in the current state. We've probably seen upwards of, you know, 900 in, in certain, you know, projects that we've worked on. So. I would say give it you know 750 to you know ideally we're going to push a you know a thousand individuals from a consulting basis here and ideally you know this year at some point and and are they all time based in terms of the the pay and charge or are any of those project based do you do statement of work type engagements yeah we do both you know so a lot of our um life sciences clients engage with us from a, a statement of work perspective you know there was where there's particular projects we've been very successful in helping staff a number of organizations um fairly large ones in you know new initiatives and some upcoming as well where we do have to work from a project you know based perspective whereas others you know in particular you know some of our and you know some of our more marquee it clients are really ones where it's traditional, you know, hourly rates based on, you know, individual needs, less so on like a, a massive SOW project. Piper is not yet in the business of, you know, solutions. However, three, well now I guess it's, you know, we're going on almost four years now at this point. You know, we had a cybersecurity practice that um, operated as a separate company and, and it did all things, you know, incident response and disaster recovery, digital forensics. And we sold that arm of the business to Palo Alto. And so what that gave us in scaling that organization was a really good story to say, hey, like we can help you in cybersecurity. And so we've really started to, you know, leverage that, that past performance as an ability for us to, you know, help people secure their organizations and really that's through you know that engine that we we once had so that for us has been you know a big part of our our project-based work in addition is because we've got a story to tell from that we've got a story to tell in life sciences and in a number of projects that we've done there so you'll see certain pockets that leverage more of the sow based business but there's still a large percentage that are just simply time-based um, you know engagements for one specific or a few specific resources. Dan, it sounds like you've been on quite the journey with Piper companies, and, and it sounds like if we were to reconnect again in, in 12 months, you'd have even more to tell me about, about where you've taken it. Thank you very much for your time today. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. James, thanks for having me, it's a pleasure, and yes, I guarantee if we talk again, there will be plenty more updates and iterations of all things Piper Company. So appreciate your time as well, James.
Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share. And more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor, Employee, providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organisations on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out. 